The New Testament reading is in Matthew 7, 28 through 8, 17. It can be found on page 812 on your Bibles if you'd like to read along. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was not teaching them as he who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When it entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with the soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes to my servant. Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you, for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our, bore our diseases. The word of the Lord. Well, Ancient Hope, it's good to be with you this morning, especially uh, this Sunday before classes start here at the university. And if this is your first time here at One Ancient Hope, we're, we're so glad that you're here, and we do hope that we get a chance to connect with you before you leave this morning. And this is an especially good time if it is your, your first time here because we've, we've just finished the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're moving into the second part of the Gospel of, of Matthew. And, and before we open up that text, let us, let us come together before the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for how he meets us here. We thank you, Lord, for what we learn about the identity of Christ in this passage. And Father, we thank you that in this passage we know that you have given us the gift of Christ freely and your good and gracious gospel. And it's in that belief, it's in that assurance, it's in that rest, it's in that confidence that we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So in today's passage, we, we see what Jesus does immediately after preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, we see three instances of healing that reveal to us the identity of this great teacher, this great teacher who, as the crowds can see, possesses a special authority. 
And in particular, in this passage, Matthew gives us three very important questions that we all must confront. But he also gives us three very important answers that show us who Jesus Christ is. And what are those questions? Well, who is Jesus? Where is Jesus? And why is Jesus? So let's look at each of those questions in turn, beginning first with who is Jesus? And it's the first scene that helps us answer this question. We see after the Sermon on the Mount, there's a great crowd that's following Jesus, but they still haven't figured it out. They still haven't figured out who Jesus is, but one person has, and that's the leper. How do we know this? Well, it's, it's easy to miss in the English, but the leper does the very same thing that the wise men do before the child Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. In the English we read, a leper came to him and knelt before him. However, the word translated here as, as knelt before is the Greek word proskineo. And in the Gospel of Matthew, this word has the distinct sense of worship. For example, when, when Christ is being tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus responds, you shall worship. And, and worship there is a form of this word, proskineo, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The Lord alone, Jesus tells us, must be the object of this verb, but, but, but here the leper, he directs this action of worship to Jesus himself, and he receives no rebuke for it. And this can only mean that to worship Jesus is to worship the Lord your God. And so worshiping Jesus as God, the leopard asks what can only be asked of God. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper asks to be healed of, of leprosy, and he knows that this is something that only God can do. Only God can heal the leper, only the one who is worthy of worship. And this point is made in the Old Testament scriptures. There's two times that we find leprosy healed in the Old Testament, and both of those instances are helpful here. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we find Naaman, a commander in the Syrian army. He comes to the land of Israel seeking to be healed from leprosy. And when the king of Israel learns about this, he tears his clothes and he says in exasperation, Am I God to kill, to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? The king knows that only God can heal the leper. And at that time, there was no medical intervention that could cure the malady of, of leprosy, especially not on the spot. Only God could do that. <clears throat> However, while only God could heal Naaman, would God will to heal Naaman? Again, the words of the leper, Lord, if you will, <clears throat> you can make me clean. If you are God, then you can do this. God's power is not in question here, but is God willing to do so? And here, yes, God is 
willing. Eventually, Naaman follows the words of the prophet Elisha, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. And when Naaman follows these words, he's healed by the work of God. And this connects with the other divine healing of leprosy that we find in the Old Testament. In Numbers 12, Moses' sister Miriam speaks against Moses because he's married a foreign Cushite woman, woman. And in attacking Moses in this way, Miriam is also attacking the works and the ways of God. And in response, she is stricken with leprosy. And Aaron, her other brother, pleads with Moses on her behalf. He says, let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses, as as the prophet of the Lord, he comes and pleads directly to the Lord. He says, oh God, please heal her, please. And after seven days outside the camp, Miriam is healed by God. So then, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Lord. He's God alone, and he's the one who can heal the leper. Jesus can heal the leper because he is God, and Jesus receives the worship of the leper because he is God. And so let's take a moment and reflect upon what's happening here. When we pray, We know that God is able to do all things. But we have to ask, like the leper, is he willing? Again, there were many lepers in the Old Testament, but we only find two instances of this kind of healing. God is always able to heal, but he's not always willing, at least not in the way that we expect. And we must not think that God is is always all-powerful and only sometimes all-good. The Christian tradition has long held that God's power, well, God's power is actually God's goodness, and God's goodness is God's power. In fact, God is his goodness, and God is his power, There are no parts in God. This is what the Christian tradition has called the doctrine of divine simplicity. God is perfect goodness. God is perfect power. And perfect power is perfect goodness. And this means that God's power is wholly good. And God's goodness is wholly powerful, infinitely so. And this should be a great encouragement to us because there is no such thing as perfect power without perfect goodness. And there is no such thing as perfect goodness without perfect power. Therefore, when we come to God in prayer, we must come as the leper does. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Perhaps God will heal us from sickness, from from relational breakdown, from financial struggle, from professional failure, or or from some oppressive situation. But perhaps he will not. And if he chooses not to, it's not because he lacks the power or he lacks the goodness. His infinitely powerful goodness always seeks what is very best for us. And so we have to say to God, 
Lord, if you will, you will make me clean. And we have to be ready in our hearts for the answer, the possible answer from God, which he tells us, I do not will this for you because I will something better for you by way of this hardship. I am wholly good and I know what is best for you. Even if it seems like I am killing you, I am giving you life just like I did for the leper. Through these hardships, I will to conform you to the image of Christ. Through these hardships, I will to make you clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And the Lord will make you clean. This is what he wills for you. But he may intend to clean and to purify you and to sanctify you and form you through the very hardships that you wish to be taken away. As difficult as it is to say, the hardships may remain precisely because it's through these that he wills to make you clean. And so the prayer, Lord, if you will make me clean, is actually quite a bold prayer. But it's one that, like the leopard, we have to pray again and again and again. And we might even guess that this is not the first time that the leper has offered up this prayer to God. And perhaps it's actually because of all the times that this prayer went unanswered that worked to cleanse the leper's soul, to purify his heart, and to form his eyes so that when he encountered Christ, he knew that he had encountered God himself. This is the God that Jesus is. And in this case, Jesus does heal the leper. We find that the leper is immediately made clean. But we have another question here. Why does the leper ask to be made clean? Why does Matthew describe this healing in terms of being cleansed? Why do we read about Naaman and, and his healing in terms of being cleansed? What's going on here? Why would we speak of being clean instead of being healed? Well, this is Old Testament ritual purity language. The language of, of being clean and unclean, and, and we have to be careful here because the category of uncleanness, especially that we find in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, it does not map directly on to the category of sin. And so let's, let's start by talking about what the illness of leprosy is not. Most likely, leprosy in the Bible is not what we know now as leprosy, uh, what is called Hansen's disease. And, and I'm here following the work of New Testament scholar Matthew Thiessen. He points out that, that Hansen's disease, it was not actually, we think, known in the Mediterranean world until the second or third century BCE, which was long after the book of Leviticus was written. And the symptoms that we find here don't match the symptoms that we find in Leviticus 13 and 14, especially the description of, of a whiteness on the skin. So it's probably best to say that we're not exactly sure what the illness of Levitical leprosy actually was. But that's okay because the focus of the Old Testament here is not so much on the physical impairment that leprosy causes, but on the ritual impurity and on the uncleanness it produces, which is what we find here in the account in Matthew. Again, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
And the, the, the seminal work on, on Leviticus by Jewish scholar Jacob Milgram, it's, it's helpful here. And Milgram explains that what is taught in Leviticus is a reverence for life. Milgram understands life itself as a kind of organizing principle of the law codes that we find in Leviticus. However, what Milgram identifies as the common denominator in, in the ritual impurities, especially addressed in Leviticus 12 through 15, well, it's the uncleanness of death. In Leviticus 12, we find that the process of childbirth makes a, a woman ritually unclean. In Levit Leviticus 15, we find that male and female discharges make one unclean. In Leviticus 13 and 14, we find that leprosy makes one unclean and so ritually impure. And Milgram says what all of this symbolizes is death. All of these conditions symbolize, represent the loss of life, the death of the forces of life. Recall Aaron's words about Miriam. Let her not be as one dead. Recall the king of Israel's words about Naaman. Am I God to kill and to make alive? To have leprosy in this system is to be as one dead. And to heal the leper is to make alive. In the world of the Old Testament, to have leprosy was to be one of the walking dead. Leprosy was unclean because it symbolized death itself. And so the leper was an outcast, forced to live outside of the community, the walking dead not allowed to be among the living. But Christ, Christ comes and he makes the unclean clean. He makes the dead of life alive. He brings life into the very depths of death. All the same, there's something that Jesus cannot do here. Again, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is not only God, but he's God the Son become human. And according to Jesus' human nature, well, he's the son of David. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's not from the tribe of, of Levi, the tribe from which priests came. And according to the priestly system, Jesus can't be a priest. Jesus tells the leper, go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus here honors the priestly system. The, the leper, as commanded in Leviticus 13 and 14, must present himself before the priest and be pronounced clean. What does that mean for Jesus? Well, as Matthew Thiessen writes, since Jesus is not a priest, he cannot declare the man pure. According to his human nature, there's certain things Jesus can't do because he can't occupy this Levitical priesthood status. As God, he can make the leper clean, but as a human from the tribe of Judah, not of Levi, he cannot declare the man clean. But this also means something else, that Jesus as a human, think about this, cannot enter into the inner courts of the temple. He can't enter into the Holy of Holies. In fact, when a king from the tribe of Judah, Uzziah, tries to enter the holy courts and offer incense in the place of the priests, he himself is actually stricken with leprosy. And so we find leprosy in the Old Testament 
keeping people out of community, but we also see it here functioning as a punishment for persons not taking their proper place in the community. So then we have to ask, was Jesus ever in the inner courts of the temple? Was he ever in the Holy of Holies, that foremost place where Israel, by way of Levitical priests, met with God? And these questions take us to our second key question, which is, where is Jesus? And the second scene in this passage helps us to answer this question. And here we find a man who is not unlike Naaman. We find a Roman centurion. We find a military leader who in some way is at odds with the the leaders of Israel. He comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant who is far away at home and suffering terribly. Jesus responds and says, I will come to the house and I will heal this servant. But the centurion replies with a statement that actually makes Jesus marvel at his face, at his faith. The centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Just like the crowd, just like the leper, the centurion sees that Jesus has exceptional authority, so much so that Jesus only needs to say the word, and the servant, far away in the man's home, will be healed. But how can this be? Well, if if Jesus is God, then according to his divine nature, Jesus is everywhere. God is there with the centurion, but God is also there with the paralyzed servant. As reformer, theologian, pastor, John Calvin writes about this dynamic, he says the following in this wonderful quote, Here is something marvelous. The Son of God descended from heaven in such a way that without leaving heaven, he willed to be born in the virgin's womb, to go about the earth and to hang upon the cross, Yet he continuously filled the world even as he had done from the beginning. That's a remarkable truth. How is this so? How is God everywhere? How is Jesus everywhere according to his divine nature? Well, here we need to make sure we have the right view of of creation because we can have a faulty view of creation that that imagines it's something like like this. We imagine God creating the universe and sort of letting it go once everything has been set in in motion. It's like a, a watchmaker who makes a watch, winds the watch, releases it, and lets it work. But this isn't how we should understand God and creation being related. Because everything in creation exists always and only by receiving its being from God at every second. God ever upholds all that he creates. God created all things from nothing, and without God's always giving them being, they would simply go back to nothing. Without God, we are non-existence. And it's this truth that we must use to go about answering the question, how is it that God is everywhere. How is it that Jesus is already with the servant? God as God is not present like we are. He's not present by way of having a body. He's present by way of his action and by way of his activity, by what he does. He's present to creation as the agent of creation, as the one who creates and sustains it. 
The medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas, he explains it this way, God is in all things as an agent is present to that upon which it works. And what that means is that God is present to us every second by creating and sustaining us every single moment. God is present to us as he holds every bit of us together. Every atom, every drop of blood in our veins, every neuron in our head, God is present to all of us in that close way because he upholds our very being, every single aspect of ourselves, and we should take comfort in this. Even if we receive the worst of medical diagnoses, and, and I say this with, with trepidation, these, these are not easy matters, and, and I don't mean to offer any cold comfort here. But even here, in the hardest situations, we know that God knows your body with the greatest of intimacy because he sustains each and every joint, each and every limb, each and every vein, each and every neuron. Without him, we would suffer the worst diagnosis of all, that of non-existence, of simply not being. And so we know that even in the worst of medical situations, you are holy in his hands. Our whole existence is one extended act of receiving life from God. And this means that when medical emergencies arise, we are no more vulnerable to and dependent upon God than we were before. We're only brought to a greater awareness of that vulnerability and that dependence that was always already there. He has always been with us, creating us and sustaining us and knowing us more intimately than we can ever know ourselves. And this also means that all of our days are in God's hands. As theologian Sinclair Ferguson says, our lives are immortal until our work for God is done. God has measured your days. He has planned every good work in which you will walk. You will not die before then, and you will not die, or sorry, you will not live past then. Your life will last exactly as long as God sees fit in his perfect wisdom. Yes, be healthy, take care of your health. And God's action here gives possibility and purpose and power to our actions, to the things that we do. But we can't believe that a stringent health routine will prolong our life past God's plan for it. Yes, be healthy. We are called to be good stewards of our body. And what this means will be, will be different from person to person. Health concerns, they're, they're very serious matters, and, and health regimens will differ from person to person. But this truth calls us to live in wisdom and not in fear or obsession about health. Your days are numbered by God himself. We can't, by our own efforts, extend our lives by one second beyond, beyond the plan that he has for our life. Again, our lives are immortal until our work for God is done. And therefore, to rest in the wisdom of God's plan, we have to always ask, what is it that God has specifically and personally called me to do in this life, this life, this opportunity that I've been given? And we have to ask ourselves this question daily, always trying to discern the answer more clearly. 
Our lives are immortal until our work for God is done. God is the God who gives life and sustains us every moment of our life. And in doing this, God is present with us. And here in the scene, again, Jesus is already present with the servant, sustaining each and every one of those paralyzed limbs. Jesus is with the servant, and Jesus is with you and with me. And here we understand why Jesus can heal the leper. If the leper is the walking dead, only God can bring life because only God is life itself. Remember the words of the king of Israel. Am I God to kill and to make alive? Yes, only God can make alive. Only God can heal the death of leprosy. Only God can give us life in the first place. Only God can keep us from the nothingness of non-existence. But we can go further, because specifically, Jesus is the divine person of the Son, the divine Word become human. And here, the centurion actually says more than he knows. He says to Jesus, only say the Word, only say the Logos, and my servant will be healed. Why does Jesus only need to say the Word? Well, because Jesus is the Word the word of the Father. Jesus need only say the Logos, the word, because Jesus is the divine Logos. Jesus is the word of the Father through whom all of creation was made. All things were made through the word, the divine Son, who took human nature in the person of Jesus Christ. It's only natural then that the one through whom the paralyzed servant was made should also be the one through whom he was restored. When Christ heals the servant, it's, it's like a craftsman looking at one of his treasures that's been broken in some way. And of course, he's the one that's going to fix it because he's the one that made it in the first place. This is who Jesus is, and this is why Jesus is already present with the servant. Jesus is God the Son become human. So yes, Jesus is only in one place at one time according to his human nature, but as God... Jesus is directly present to all of creation as the one through whom it is made and sustained. And so was Jesus ever in the inner courts of the temple? Was he ever in the Holy of Holies? Well, yes and no. As a human from the tribe of Judah, the answer is, is no. But as the divine word, the answer is yes. But even this isn't quite right because the temple is the place where God and humanity meet and are reconciled. And in the priesthood itself, well, well, the priest is the one who represents the people before God, offering sacrifices on their behalf. And as we'll see, both of these things, the temple and the priesthood, well, these just are Jesus. And this brings us to our third and final question. Why is Jesus well, remember that uncleanness in the Old Testament is, is, is not a category that maps exactly onto sin. It's a category of, of death. But sin and death, they are directly connected. The uncleanness symbolizes the impurity of death, the loss of life, the going back to nothingness. We are ex nihilo from nothing, but death makes us add nihilo to nothing. Death is the opposite of life. And death is the punishment of sin. Human death is an affront to God's life, but, but death is a natural consequence of that most unnatural of things, sin. 
Because to sin is to turn away from God, to turn away from the very source of life. The natural consequence from, uh, of turning away from the light is darkness, the inability to see. And the natural consequence from turning away from life is death, the inability to live. And this turning from life, from God himself, well, this is sin. And it's because of the reality of sin that we are unclean, that we bear the effects of death and mortality. Death is a consequence of sin for that original sin from Adam and Eve that let human death into the world. And so death, it can't be properly addressed without addressing sin because sin is the ultimate cause of death. And so the only way to heal death is to be turned back to that very source of, of life, to God himself. As Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 30, love the Lord your God, obeying his voice and clinging to him, for he himself is your life and your length of days. Consider the leper. He was healed, but he still died. Consider the servant. He was healed, but he still died. Yes, Jesus brought good healing here, but this healing of these physical ailments, it's only treating the symptom of a much deeper problem, the problem of sin. And so Jesus' ultimate mission is to bring something much more than a temporary healing that will still end in death. Jesus aims to kill the very source of death, sin itself. And without healing sin, we are like doctors who try to heal the eyes of the blind in a world without light. Unless there's light, the eyes will never see. And unless sin is healed, we will never truly live. Who is Jesus? He's God. Where is Jesus? Well, according to his divine nature, he's everywhere. And so it's no surprise that he can heal the leper and the servant anywhere that these people might be. But if Jesus is only God and not human, Jesus cannot heal us from our sin. He can only do this as the God-man, as God become human. And it's here we find the answer to the question, why is Jesus? We see this in the third scene of the passage. Jesus comes into the house of his disciple Peter, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And then we see many more coming to him, people who are suffering from physical ailments, people who are suffering from demonic oppression. He heals all of them. And Matthew explains this event by way of a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus is not only the God who gives life, Jesus is the human who takes death. He takes the punishment that we as humanity have merited for our sins. God is God cannot die God is God cannot take our illnesses and diseases however God as human can. And Christ, the God-man, does just this. Which leads us back to that question of, of priesthood and the temple. And the temple, and the, temple the, the, the priests from the tribe of Levi, they come before God and they offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. They, they offer animals as substitutes for the people the animals taking the punishment of death that the people deserve. But in Christ, here we find a sacrifice who bears 
illnesses and diseases himself. We find a sinless human, one who loves God and neighbor perfectly at all times, bearing the punishment of sin. In Christ, we find the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice. And in Christ, we find the perfect temple because in Christ, God and humanity are reconciled once and for all. It was to Christ that the temple and the Levitical priesthood pointed to. It was to Christ that they promised. And so, yes, Jesus, according to his human nature, never entered the Holy of Holies. But in truth, Jesus is the Holy of Holies come to find us. Christ is God reconciling himself to humanity. Christ is the temple coming to search us out, to find us, and to bring us to himself. The very next line in Isaiah, after Matthew's quotation from Isaiah, it reads as follows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Matthew wants us to think on these verses too. It's a kind of cue that he's giving us to this passage, this full passage in Isaiah. Christ suffered not only the ailments of this life, the illnesses, the diseases, but here we find he suffered even death upon the cross, experiencing God's great judgment against sin, giving us his great gift of peace and joyful communion with God, the life that we receive by faith. He takes our death and he gives us his life. And so Christ, he's undone the work of sin. And by undoing sin, he undoes the work of death. How do we know that God the Father received Christ as the perfect sacrifice for sin upon the cross? Well, it's because of the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is the proof, the evidence, the vindication that the human future can be one free of death and corruption, free from all the uncleanness of mortality. If we have faith in Christ, then Christ's present is our future. And this is life. This is true life. The leper and the servant were healed to die again. But one day they will be resurrected in a world free from human death. And the same is true for us if we place our faith in Christ. We might ask, Lord, why do you not heal me as, as you heal this leper and as you heal this servant? We must hear Christ say to us, don't you realize that I already have? You may not receive the temporary healing, the healing that you seek that will still end in death, but do you not know that one day you will rise never to die again? And I don't mean to be insensitive here or, or to take the tragedies that we bear lightly, but I've heard it said, and it's a good word, that whatever it is that pains us, it's nothing that a good resurrection won't fix. This is the promise of the very God who is our life. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are our creator. We thank you that you are our sustainer. In Jesus Christ, in Christ, we thank you that you are our redeemer, the one who saves us from sin. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.